Friends, for those of you who have not yet met, my name is Pastor Micah, and uh, we are so glad to be worshiping with you on this Easter Sunday. It is a joy to be gathered together. Uh, it is a joy to be gathered together through live streaming worship. For those of you at home, we're glad that you are part of our worshiping community as well. To get started today, I'd like to invite you to come back with me a couple decades to the year 1999. Now, I know some of you in the room weren't born yet, so just hang out here for a minute, right? Some of you remember 1999. I know I do because it was my senior year of high school. In my senior year, my basketball team uh, didn't win any games until the final tournament of the year, but I was a lead scorer, so I felt pretty good about that. That was, that was a good year, right? Um, and then I got to go to college, and I remember when I packed my car to go down to college, I had this big binder full of what were called CDs, right? And kids, what that means is we had to put them in this little player thing to listen to music, right? It's kind of like a Blu-ray, but just with music, <laughs> right? And I thought I was going to show all my friends all my awesome music. Um, I think Sarah finally convinced me to give it away a couple years ago. But um, uh, speaking of Sarah, I also remember I went to college and for the first times, I laid eyes on this tall, beautiful girl from the other side of campus. And her name was Sarah Marie Martin, right? She was the choir president. She was super impressive. And it took me a few years, but I finally convinced her to marry me, right? And so uh, that was a good year when I first met my wife. Also, uh, Michigan State had this amazing team, Mateen Cleaves, Mo Pete. They won the national championship, right? Man, you guys are hard this morning. <laughs> All right, we'll work on it, Okay. Uh, how about, one more thing maybe, how many of you remember Y2K? Yeah, okay, Y2K. For the kids in the room, the basics were that we thought our computers would turn against us and it would be the end of the world, and nothing really happened. But um, there was this fear that was going around that time, and maybe that's part of what led to uh, the release of this book. Uh, the Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook debuted in 1999. It led to all sorts of other editions and even a board game, which wasn't all that good, but we had it for a while. But it gives you extreme advice, or expert advice for extreme situations. So, for example, I bought a copy of this book uh, at Barnes & Noble. It's what was called a bookstore, where you'd go <laughs> and you'd buy books. And there was a pile of them, and it was $7. And apparently I had $7 burning a hole in my pocket. So I learned, for example, if I am in the desert and don't have any water, but happen to have with me a tarp or a big piece of plastic, then I can dig a hole, and overnight I can have water condensed down into a cup, and I might be able to survive, right? That's a good thing to know. Or uh, I also learned, either in this one or it may have been the U.S. Army Survival Manual, I was maybe into this thing back in high school, but I learned if I have a horrific leg or arm injury, how to make a chicken poultice so that the infection can go away, right? Fortunately, I've never had to do that. But you also learn other things like this, how to escape from quicksand. Now, you can't read all the words here. Maybe those of you at home, uh, you can. But here's just a sample page, and here's what you do. If you want to survive quicksand, make sure you're carrying a big stick whenever you're going around quicksand area. And if you fall in, just kind of lay out on your back and, and get that stick underneath you somehow, and you can spread out your weight and then try to shimmy your way to the edge of quicksand. So now you know, okay? Better advice, just avoid quicksand, because then you don't have to worry about it. So I don't have this book anymore. Somewhere along the way, we gave it away. But I, I Googled it, and I wanted to double-check. And sure enough, it does not actually have any advice for how to escape from being buried alive, like you're stuck in a tomb. I thought it would be in there, but it's, but it's not. The closest thing that you get to is how to survive if you're trapped in an avalanche of snow. And just so you know, what you do is you kind of try to make some space in 
wherever you are trapped, and then you either spit or drool, and in whichever way it goes, that's down, and you dig up. File that away, right? Okay, let's go back to being buried alive. Any of you thought about that? How terrible it would be? It's in all the movies, right? Being stuck in a tomb. If you were to go to this cemetery in Hanover, Germany, uh, you would see probably this tomb. It's very famous. It's the tomb of Henrietta von Ruling, and she doesn't matter, but her tomb is kind of important because etched in stone on this tomb, her husband loved her so much, he, he wrote this. It was in German, but in, in English it's translated, this grave bought for eternity may never be opened. Let me read that one more time. This grave bought for eternity may never be opened. See, here's the problem. Shortly after the tomb was finished, a birch seed fell in just the right place. And as seeds tend to do, it sprouted, and as sprouts tend to do, it grew. And as this birch tree grew, it pushed aside the tombstone and pretty much wrecked the whole place. And so the tomb that was supposed to never be opened suddenly found itself wide open. And it became a tourist attraction alongside, there's a Luther statue. So again, if you go to Hanover, you can see both of those are pretty important. And, and here's a picture of what it looks like today. Apparently the birch tree died, as happens, so they planted another one because it's a pretty good story. Because the tomb that was supposed to never be open was. Now let me take you back to another tomb. You know this one pretty well. We're going back now 2,000 years. Carved out of stone. Sealed with a stone. So big that most people couldn't move it. Kept out people who shouldn't be going in and kept in the person who was dead. Uh, the religious leaders were afraid that the disciples would still sneak in somehow at night and steal Jesus' body. And so they sent a squadron of soldiers to watch it. And then Pilate put a seal over it just to make double sure that no one would go inside. But as secure as this tomb was, here's the thing. On Easter morning, that Sunday, it was empty. And, and, and the fact that it was empty caught everyone by surprise. The women, Matthew 28, we read this a moment ago, they went to actually finish the burial preparation for Jesus. They were surprised. The soldiers who were guarding the tomb, they were certainly surprised when an angel broke it open and Jesus was gone. We're told this, for fear of him, of Jesus, the guards trembled and froze in fear. They became like dead men. And then they went and told the religious leaders who had employed them, and, and they had to quickly come up with a cover story. They said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, that's Pilate, we'll bribe him. We'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The women were surprised. The soldiers were surprised. The religious leaders were surprised. Even the disciples, everyone was surprised because nobody expected the tomb to be empty. But here's the thing. God loves to surprise us with victory and to snatch it out of the jaws of certain defeat. Think back to another time. Uh, we read about this or heard about this in our second reading, the responsive one. Israel found itself in a worst-case scenario situation, trapped on the edge of the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his army barreling down on them. And you may remember the backstory. They'd been slaves in Egypt. They'd lived there for 400 years as strangers in a foreign land. They finally thought they made it out, and they were loaded because they had pillaged 
the Egyptians. The Egyptians were like, get out of town, please. Take our money, take our gold, take everything with you. They thought that they were finally free, only to find themselves trapped by the edge of the sea with certain death falling upon them. Pharaoh was pretty confident too. Here's what he said. I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Everyone was convinced that Israel was done for, that this was the end. There was no way out. But they didn't count on the fact that ours is a God of surprises, who loves to snatch victory out of the jaws of defeat. So with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, using Moses as his spokesman here on earth, God parted the Red Sea. It says this in verse 8, the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, and the flood stood up in a heap, and the deep congealed in the heart of the sea. Now, for some of you type A personalities, those of you uh, who love science and analytics, you may be wondering, how in the world does this actually happen? And the short answer is, we don't know, but God is God, and he can do whatever he wants. And he says, the sea parted, and people passed through on dry ground. And whenever I think about it, I think back to this uh, image. Some of you may remember, also 1999, pretty good year, the Prince of Egypt. Remember that cartoon? Anybody here? No? A few of you? Okay, all right. I feel a little better. Last service, they were like, no. <laughs> nope. Um, I love this picture, though, because also in the movie, you see this image of the people walking through the Red Sea and fish and even whales swimming in the waters that were standing up like walls beside them. What we know for a fact is that as soon as they emerged safely on the other side, the walls of water came crashing down, and the mightiest superpower of the world at that time was destroyed in a moment. Pharaoh and his army obliterated by God. Jesus, dead in a tomb. Satan, certainly gloating in his victory. Certain that he had Jesus exactly where he wanted him. He had him shackled in the chains of death. He had him buried in a stone-cold tomb. Like Pharaoh, Satan would have been gloating that morning. But again, Satan didn't understand that ours is a God who loves to surprise us by snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat. And so on that Easter morning, though no one saw it coming, the tomb was empty. Like Peter says in Acts chapter 2, God raised him, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, nobody understood that the power of Jesus is greater than anything in the world. Not even death itself can hold him back. Jesus says it in this way, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Right? He reigns over all creation, even hell itself falls under his dominion. Death could not hold him. Nothing can defeat him. Our Lord and Savior Jesus surprised everyone on that first Easter Sunday when he was alive and well and out of his tomb. But here's the thing, it wasn't just for him. It wasn't just so stories could be told centuries later about how amazing Jesus was. He accomplished this victory also for you. Remember, Israel had to pass through the water to make it to the other side and to experience new life. Um, we also are brought through water from death to life. Paul says it this way of baptism. We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
See, here's the thing. Easter isn't just about an event 2,000 years ago. Easter is about a victory that's as real for you today as it ever has been. Ours is a God who delights to surprise everyone by snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat and giving life to all who trust in Him. Friends, I'm going to close with one little last story. Um, uh, Story told of a Sunday school class some time ago where the teacher was trying to uh, teach some seven-year-olds about Easter. And so she read the Easter story to them and asked them this question at the end. What do you think was the first thing Jesus said when he got out of the tomb? And one of the little girls, seven years old, was so excited, she knew the answer. So she hopped up and she raised her hand and she just shouted out, surprise! (laughs) Maybe that's what Jesus said. We don't know actually what the first, first word out of his mouth was, but she kind of got the point, didn't she? Right? Nobody expected the tomb to be empty. Nobody expected Jesus to be alive, but he is. And it was. And so we live as well. We who have faith in him, who have been washed in the water and trust in the word, we have everlasting life as well. And we may not greet each other on Easter with surprise, but we do have a pretty good Easter greeting. So let's try it one more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And because he lives, we shall live also. Amen.